Well, we've gotten off to a good start this fall uh, talking about the essentials, right, of the Christian faith. Uh, I've talked to you uh, literally for the past three weeks. I've talked to you about God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I, I believe I'm on good footing when I say it is essential to believe in God if you are going to follow God. Okay, so, so these, these are essentials. It's, it's a great start, but that's as far as, as some people go, right? They believe that there's a God, but they're not quite sure what difference that makes or how they should respond. They have this vague idea that there may be a, a God out there somewhere, but it doesn't go much further than that. And so we need to keep going. There are, there are more essentials that we need to know. So I want us to, to go back to the, uh, the beginning, to the first man, uh, first man and woman, Adam and Eve. Adam was created by God's own word, by God's own hand. Adam's life and Eve's life came from the very breath of God. He breathed into their nostrils the breath of life. Genesis says that he was, that the, the, uh, the humanity was made in the image of God. Uh, they had everything they would ever want or need. Adam was, uh, uh, he, they were in this garden, uh, where, uh, uh, where, where, where that God had created this perfect garden. Uh, Adam was in charge of everything. He had this amazing wife, the most amazing woman in the world at the time. A couple of you. Caught that. Uh, he, he walked and talked with God. Adam and Eve were created for fellowship with God. As Dr. Frank Moore once wrote, the crowning purpose of our existence is friendship with God. Or Billy Graham once preached, you were made for God's fellowship. To fulfill any other purpose is to fail to fulfill your destiny. And in one of the uh, Nazarene uh, periodicals several years ago, man is the greatest marvel in the universe, not because of the unique quality of his mind, but because he may walk and talk with God. Adam and Eve were created for fellowship with God, and so were you. Back in the beginning, Adam and Eve walked and talked with God, and so can you. Except for one thing. One thing has distorted the image of God in our lives and has broken that fellowship with him. And it's this three-letter word called sin. Sin is, is a failure. It's missing the mark, right? Adam and Eve created uh, for fellowship with God. And they failed to obey God's command to not eat that fruit. And so they sinned. I don't know whether it took days or weeks or months or years of living in that garden. I don't know how long Adam and Eve lived in the bliss of paradise in a perfect relationship with God. But, but soon Satan, the serpent, tempted Eve. Adam didn't stop it. And Adam and Eve disobeyed the only negative instruction that God had given. They ate that forbidden fruit. And immediately they were ashamed and they hid. And so two of the most poignant verses in all of Scripture, I believe, are found in Genesis 3 verses 8 and 9. The, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden, but the Lord called to the man, where are you? Where are you? It's almost forlorn. Can an almighty God have his heart broken? Yes. The man I created from the dust of the ground, the woman I crafted from the uh, from the uh, from his rib, uh, the creatures that I breathed life into and stamped my image on. Where are you? What happened? 
It's, it's the question that sin places on the heart of God. You were created for fellowship with God and sin breaks that fellowship. It, it began with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and it has affected every generation from that day until now. That first sin had huge consequences and, and no one took responsibility. As God confronted uh, the, uh, the man and the woman and the serpent, uh, Pastor Nicky Gumbel puts it this way, the man blamed the woman, the woman blamed the serpent, and the serpent didn't have a leg to stand on. There we go, okay. Whoever blamed whom, the, the result of sin uh, was, uh, was pain and ultimate death. They were cast out of the garden, alienation from God. And that sin has been passed down to every generation since. Uh, we were born into sin. In theological circles, we call this original sin. You may have referred, uh, heard it referred to as the sin nature, or the old man, or the flesh. Uh, it's, it's that part inside of us that is drawn toward choosing wrong. It's not necessarily a desire to do evil as much as a desire to have my own way. And we're all born with it. If, if you don't believe me, uh, you should probably visit a local daycare sometime and maybe you'll, you'll catch on. Well, I heard a theologian this week say that uh, on a podcast that uh, the four most used words uh, by toddlers are my, me, mine, and no, and he said usually it's with the uh, stamped foot. Uh, original sin, the, the bent towards sin and selfishness that we all inherit from Adam and Eve. Martin Luther said, uh, described it this way, that we are born curved in on ourselves. Mark Twain once said, there is a great deal of human nature in people. <laughs> Just a different way of thinking about it. So we're, we're born with original sin. That's, that's what we're born with. We inherit that uh, from Adam and Eve. But there's also uh, this, this concept of not just original sin, but there's also personal sin. Sins that we commit. We're born with a bent toward sinning, a draw toward sinning, and then we commit sin. Uh, personal sin is what we're held accountable for. It's, it's what John Wesley called a, a willful transgression of a known law of God, and we've all done it. Uh, maybe, just to make sure you get the point, I think, I think it would be helpful today, uh, turn to the person on either side of you and tell them, you are a sinner. Go ahead, tell them. And if you're, if you're online, I'll just tell you, you, you are a sinner. Uh, maybe you're listening or whatever, you're a, yeah, okay. Now that we have that settled, we've, we've disobeyed God's laws and principles. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That sin leads us leads to death. Uh, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Ephesians 2.1, uh, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. And that sin, as we, uh, as I said earlier, that sin has broken our relationship with God. Isaiah 59.2, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. However you look at it, sin is a big deal. It, guilt, death, uh, broken fellowship with God. I mean, these are, these are huge things. Unfortunately, many, many people don't treat sin like it's, like it's a big deal. And they give in to temptation. Oh, it's not that big a deal. I'll just go ahead and, and they ignore the warnings of God. If we could see how ugly the effects of sin are, 
maybe we'd steer away from it. But we are born with original sin, so we're already steering toward it, and and there's no hope of avoiding it and its consequences without some kind of intervention. In the church world, I guess we would say we need to be saved. Uh, Professor Edward Ramsdell many years ago wrote this, explain sin any way you choose, you cannot explain it away. It, It is an empirical fact. It is not so much that we need it explained as that we need it resolved. Paul declared in Romans 7, 24, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? But then he answers his own question in the next verse, and he he declares that we do indeed have a Savior. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Two weeks ago, I told you all about Jesus, the Son of God, right, and and uh, uh, what he has done for us. I told you about the atonement, how uh, John Wycliffe had to make up a word of what, what happened when Jesus came and and, uh, and how he made us at one with God, at one atonement. Uh, he, Jesus lived a perfect life, and, and he died and took on the sin of the whole world, and then he rose again as our Savior. We cannot do anything to save ourselves from the curse of sin, but we don't have to because Jesus has already done it. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is the wonderful good news of the gospel. God loves you. He has provided an answer to sin. And so it is essential that we respond to his love and grace. We must come to a place of repentance, turning away from our sin and turning to God. Repentance. But that doesn't come easily. We don't just trip into repentance. Heard the story uh, about Johnny, who was a painter, and he was... He was not necessarily the most uh, uh, upstanding guy in the world and always cut corners so he could make a little bit more profit. And so when a, when a church hired him to paint their, uh, their, their clapboard building, Johnny submitted the lowest bid and he was hired. And has, as always, he thinned his latex paint in order to stretch it. And the last day of the project, Johnny was up on the scaffolding and he, as he was just finishing up the last hour or so, he heard a clap of thunder. And then the heavens opened and a downpour ensued. And the torrential rain washed that thinned paint off the church. And the, the intense winds blew Johnny off the scaffolding. And he found himself laying in the mud in the, uh, in the, in the graveyard next to the church, next to the gravestones and puddles of thinned paint. <laughs> And he cried out, oh God, please forgive me. I've seen the error of my ways. What should I do? And he heard this voice from heaven that said, repaint and thin no more. I'm sorry. Those of you that are online, maybe just go back, just fast forward. It was too much of a temptation. Perhaps I missed the mark in sharing that. Repentance. It's a, it's a U-turn. It's, it's an about face. It means, uh, I'm sorry. And not that I'm sorry that I got caught. 
Uh, although, you know, sometimes we finally, you know, we confess, oh, I admit I, I did it when we finally find ourselves that we've been caught. But repentance is admitting that I've done wrong. And, and I then confess my sin to God. And, and with every fiber of my being, I don't want to commit that sin again. I, I don't want to do that. When we do that, we, we put ourselves in a position for God to help us. We, we have to repaint and thin, repent and sin no more, right? And until we own it, we can't get past it. And the only way that we get past it is be, by relying on Jesus. It is only because of his death and resurrection that we can be saved. That is a major essential in this life of faith, salvation. We, we are not doomed to remain in sin. We can be saved. There's actually three important things that, 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 that happen at the moment of salvation. When we repent of our sin and we trust in Jesus. All three are related, but they're all unique. And so today I want to spend a little bit of time on each one, recognizing the, the part that they play. When we come to this place, in, in church we, we call it salvation, we get saved, we, we uh, turn our life over to Jesus, we, we commit ourselves to Him, we finally come to the place where we repent of our sins and we turn to God. This, we call this salvation, but really there's three different things taking place there. They're all u- unique uh, and, and, and yet they're all related and I want to talk about each one today. Since our computer is... Uh, is just showing nothing up there. Um, that is, uh, so repentance is that line down toward the bottom, and then these three points are down underneath. The first one is justification. Whew, probably should have had it up on the screen there, right? Wish we could uh, uh, throw that in there because we got to spell some stuff today. Justification. Romans 3, 23 through 26 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. God is just. He justifies. We are, uh, we are ex- experiencing justification when we come to that moment of salvation. I don't know that we use this term much except in church these days. Justification is a legal term. Uh, I, I guess we could picture a courtroom. That shouldn't be too hard. We, there's uh, courtroom dramas and movies all over the place, right? And books and, and everything else. And, and so... Uh, those things probably aren't completely true to life, but they give us a glimpse into the world of, of the law and its consequences. Criminals are pursued and caught and put on trial. The, the, the concept of justification in the Bible points us toward a trial. So I, I guess if we're watching this on TV, the, the, the scene would, uh, would, would open in, uh, uh, in court. Court is in session. There's no jury, uh, just, a, just a judge, and the judge is God, right? And so evidence is heard from both sides. And despite all efforts to clear the defendant's name, the judge makes his decision guilty as charged. And then he pronounces the sentence, death. Then the, 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 the judge, God, calls 
a man forward. Everyone recognizes this is the judge's son. And the judge speaks to him briefly after a moment without hesitation. The son nods his head in approval, agreeing with whatever his father has just suggested. And so then the judge orders the defendant to rise. So we see the courtroom and the the defendant who has just been proclaimed guilty and sentenced to death is is standing in front of the judge. And and the, the judge informs him once again that he's been found guilty and he's sentenced to die. And then he instructs the bailiff to take the handcuffs off the defendant and put his son in shackles and lead him away to die instead. And he lets the gavel fall, proclaiming to one and all that the defendant is now free. It's a pretty pretty great scene. I think we could maybe make a movie out of that, right? I I want you to notice a couple of things in this. The defendant is guilty. It's, it's not that, that it's mistaken identity or, or, uh, man, I was framed. I didn't really do, no, the person, uh, the defendant, us, we are truly guilty as charged. The defendant did nothing to convince the judge to set him free. The defendant was not able to do anything that would merit acquittal. Guilty as charged. And you need to notice that justice was served. The penalty was paid, but by the judge's Son. That's the picture of justification. And that's one thing that happens at the moment of our salvation. We repent of our sin and we are justified. We are uh, proclaimed guilty but then set free because of the, 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 because Jesus has paid the penalty on our behalf. Someone explained it once, justification to me in, in Sunday school years ago. And uh, it basically because of Jesus, it's just as if I'd never sinned justified i'm standing before god i'm guilty but i'm set free justification that happens and in salvation but there's more going on than than just a courtroom drama we don't just have our names cleared in the in the courts we are also given new life we're born all over again uh, it's it's what uh, we refer to as regeneration so that's the the second point under that uh that that uh uh, uh point of salvation is is regeneration we're given new life john 3 3 through 7 jesus replied very truly i tell you no one can see the kingdom of god unless they are born again second corinthians 5 17 this means that anyone who belongs to christ has become a new person the old life is gone and a new life has begun in addition to being declared not guilty being justified we're given a brand new life in Jesus. The old is gone, the new has come. The death and decay caused by sin has been wiped away. You see how that's different from, from being uh, declared uh, not guilty. It's a whole realm of biology now. We've stepped away from the courtroom and, and, and gone toward life and death and, and biology and new beginnings and all. And picture a, a, a seed planted in the ground that sprouts to new life or, or a, a caterpillar that holds up in a cocoon only to emerge as a beautiful butterfly completely different life or in a couple of months a month or so I don't know how long hopefully uh, a long time from now all the leaves will be down and there will be snow on the ground and we will all be complaining like mid-February right we're like oh I can't winter right I'm guilty as charged myself Everything looks dead, right? It's, it's dead. Everything has died. But then in the spring, you know, sometime in June, when everything comes alive again, right? Hopefully in April, 
Um, but everything, every spring, we see the crocuses come up, and we see the and and everything starts to 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 uh, become alive again. It's, it's this it's this new life. All of those are are metaphors that can help us to 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 think about what it, what this new life is that we can experience when we are saved. When Jesus saves us from our sins, it's it's like starting over. It's a it's a brand new life. We're a, a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. We're born again. And it, and if that wasn't enough, salvation not only brings justification uh, and and uh, and and new life, regeneration. Uh, salvation also brings us into a new relationship, and we talk about adoption. Adoption, Romans 8, 14, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, sonship is a very specific word, and we can't, we don't have time to go into all of that, but, but just know it's not a, a gender-specific word, but it's, it's specifically a word uh, that, that happened in uh, Roman culture at that time when uh, someone w- received all the rights and privileges of being a, uh, a, a son, a, 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 an heir in the, in the household. So the Spirit brought you to you about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings, in order that we may also share in His glory. When we repent of our sin and we believe in Jesus, we are adopted into the family of God, with all of the rights and privileges that come from being family. Obviously, if you if you know our story at all, you know that adoption is near and dear to to our hearts. Uh, and uh, maybe I've told you some of this before, but uh, the process uh, in the United States, the adoption process, is different in every state. Every state has their own own laws. I'm most familiar with uh, uh, the laws in the state of Kansas because that's where we lived when we adopted our our two children, and and, and that was. Uh, man, too many years ago, right? So uh, I'm sure maybe things have changed since then. But as far as I uh, am understanding things, in Kansas, the adoptive parents have to go through the steps to be approved by a, a licensed social worker. And, and we met with them and filled out papers and all the things. Uh, we, the uh, adoptive parents have to have legal representation. Uh, they're usually working through an agency or adoption facilitator, facilitator to, to get matched up with a birth mother. There are, there are many legal documents to sign and notifications to make. And, and after a, a, a 30 day waiting period, a judge finalizes the adoption. And along the way, money and fees are paid to agencies and attorneys and hospitals. And, and it's quite a process. And, and Kansas is, has been uh, one of the easiest states uh, as far as walking through that process. With adoption into God's family, there are no attorneys, no social workers, no prior approval, no legal documents, and no waiting period. There is a price, but it's already been paid. We, we, uh, all we have to do is accept the offer. We have sinned and broken the relationship with God. But Jesus died on the cross and rose again to provide for our adoption, uh, to restore the relationship. Salvation. What is that? Well, it's justification, regeneration, and adoption, all rolled into one. 
Three things that happen simultaneously when we take Jesus up on his offer of salvation from our sins. When we repent of our sins and come to him in humility, uh, falling on his grace. Uh, All three of these things are linked, yet they are distinct. Because of sin, we have broken God's laws. Because of Jesus, we are justified. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, but Jesus brings new life. Sin has broken our fellowship with God, but Jesus restores the relationship and adopts us into the family of God. And all of that is offered as a gift of God's grace because of his love. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. A gift of grace. I, I don't know if you have experienced the, 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 the gift of grace, of salvation in, in your life today. Maybe you've come to the place at some point in, in your life where you have repented of your sin and given your life over, over to God. Maybe you haven't. Maybe you've experienced the fact that he has set you free from the guilt of sin. Or you've experienced the, the fact that he has given you new life and, and, and breathed new life into your once dead life and now you're following him instead of following sin. Or, or maybe you're enjoying the, uh, the, the, the fruits of a relationship with God living in his family. If you haven't done that, if you haven't repented of your sin, recognized how much it breaks the heart of God and repented of your sin, it's, it's not, a, uh, not a big long process to... To make that happen, it's a decision that you make in your heart. 